In July 2022, a report was released detailing the size and growth of fantasy sports, and the numbers were quite staggering. $21.39 billion in 2021, estimated to double by 2027, up to $44.07 billion. That being said, a separate report released around the same time focused on sports memorabilia and estimated that market to hit a staggering $92 billion in 10 years' time, more than double the actual fantasy sports market estimate. Now, of course, collectibles and fantasy sports are not at all the same thing. But in Web3, especially right now, the lines are actually pretty blurred between them. And their future, whether we like it or not, is intertwined. On today's show, we'll explore why digital collectibles and NFTs attract so many fantasy sports players. And we'll look at the big picture business of daily fantasy sports and how it's exploded over the last 30 years through the internet. And then we'll dovetail into how fantasy sports and crypto can actually get along and whether there's actually a future there. On top of that, we'll talk to two experts in the business, one of them being Osimo, also known as Alex Baker, one of the absolute best daily fantasy sports players in the world and a First Mint community member, as well as Eric Patterson, a sports trader at the Score Bet here in Canada, who's deep on the betting world, but also a former sports journalist, to get their takes on whether crypto is truly ready to take on the world of fantasy sports. What's up, everyone? It's LG Doucette, and you're listening to The First Mint, a podcast about Web3, business, and sports. Before we get to the show, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Evaluate.xyz, a safe and easy way to meet other NFT collectors, negotiate deals, and swap your moments live. Looking to expand your top shot all day and strike collection without spending your dapper balance? With Evaluate, you can pair up with trading partners in seconds and swap your existing moments for new ones in secure trading lobbies. The fastest and easiest way to trade NFTs. Visit Evaluate.xyz today to start swapping moments with other collectors. Nothing on today's show should be considered financial or trading advice of any kind. Please do your own thorough research and make your own trading decisions. This is not advice. I have dabbled in fantasy sports multiple times in my life, but honestly, I kind of suck. I used to submit DraftKings lineups in the past and I'd have tons of fun doing it. I think once I even won $50. And, you know, I honestly always appreciated the passion and dedication that other people had for it. People are really dedicated and obsessed with this stuff, honestly. For those who don't know, if you don't really familiar with DFS and fantasy sports, fantasy sports is basically where you create like a digital team of real life athletes and you see if your team can outscore other teams made up by your friends or colleagues or whoever you want to be in a league with. In some cases, there are leagues where each player is only available once through a season, but then there's also DFS known as Daily Fantasy Sports, where everyone can pick the same players every day, but that might be limited to like a made-up budget where you can't only pick good players, you have to be strategic. It's honestly a pretty elegant form of sports gambling that started offline well before the internet, dating all the way back to like the 1950s or 60s when people made like golf lineups, and we'll touch on that history more in, in just a few minutes. Now, when I got into NFTs mid-2020 and found NBA Top Shot, I knew that this was something similar, but a little bit more elevated. It was a digital marketplace. And quite literally, at the time, I tried to start a fantasy league in the NBA Top Shot community. Now, of course, the community and the broader crypto community and NFTs was not nearly as big as it is now. And I'm talking like late December 2020. 
I'd been trying to get a job in NFTs, which was which was super hard because I didn't have experience. Nobody did. And who would want to hire a video executive to be like a community manager or content person? Honestly, it didn't make any sense. I didn't. I was unable to find a job. And so I messaged Usman, one of the moderators in NBA Top Shot, and I told him, hey, man, I want to start a fantasy league, but just with Top Shot people around this NBA season. And he told me, sounds great, but somebody else is already doing that. And he referred me to a guy named Theo who lived in Portugal who had started a platform called Swoosh, which actually lets you use your Top Shot NFTs in this daily fantasy format. Now, I asked this guy, Theo, if maybe we could work together, if I could help him, but he was pretty cold to the idea, honestly, and I persevered anyways. I went ahead and created my own like weekly contest on Yahoo Sports for the NBA season, like week to week. And I kind of sent it around to the community in the Discord and provided a few prizes out of my own pocket, like just, I don't know, like 20, 30 bucks. I even included part of that prizing uh, a Luka Doncic NFT from Top Shot, where he would hit a buzzer beater against the Clippers in the NBA bubble, which had just happened like a couple months before. I ran this contest, about 25 people entered, which at the time I was like, wow, that's huge. The fact that I got as many of these people to actually enter this thing. And the guy who won took home that Luca moment, which I had bought for 15. And by the time I gave it to him, it was worth 28. And the reason for it doubling in price in literally just a week over the holidays in 2020 was that ironically, DFS players had begun to notice NBA Top Shot. And just four weeks later, a now infamous blog post would be written by Jonathan Bales about his investment in Top Shot, and the blog would be responsible for bringing tens of thousands of American and international sports bettors to the nascent world of Web3. Lucky for me, I ditched the Yahoo League concept after like just two weeks. I was like, okay, this, is, this isn't worth it. And I pivoted to starting a podcast called The First Mint. Within just a few weeks, the world completely changed in my little corner of crypto. Droves of daily fantasy players came in to Top Shot. They started making spreadsheets. They started all their little Discord groups, strategizing on which the best players were to grab and honestly trying to use their working knowledge of fantasy sports, everything they'd learned playing decades and decades of fantasy sports and apply it to this digital collectible platform. Analytics platforms were born like Own the Moment, co-founded by Justin Herzig, who had in the prior year won $200,000 on a best ball football fantasy tournament. And streamers from the DFS world arrived in droves, highlighted by Peter Overset, who's also the co-writer of Matthew Barry's Fantasy Life newsletter, and would go on to found the famous Club Top Shot weekly stream. And the resounding question on everybody's lips was, when will the NFL, by far the most played league in fantasy sports, arrive to NFTs, and how will that work? Now fast forward to today, almost two years later, and fantasy sports are alive and well in the Web3 space. Well, well, that's questionable. There's DraftKings, the biggest fantasy sports company in the world, which launched Rainmakers earlier this year in partnership with the NFLPA, the Players Union, and has also begun to drop their own native NFTs on their platform. And then, of course, there's SoRare, which we mentioned last episode, which has $700 million in funding and 100,000 weekly active users across their soccer, Major League Baseball, and NBA products. There are also a variety of other suitors that are throwing their hat in the ring, either with a collectible angle like NBA Top Shot or the other Dapper Labs products, or with native projects that utilize fictional basketball players or players from other leagues. And they're all trying to get a piece of the pie, which honestly is quite massive once we zoom out and look at it. Like I mentioned earlier, we're talking about a $21 billion annual market and one that, again, is set to double in the next few years. And even more remarkable than its potential growth and current size is its rapid ascension to where we are now. 
Here's a bit of data that I picked up on Sports Management Degree Hub. Yes, that's a real website pertaining to the North American fantasy sports market, which went from half a million players in 1988 to 56.8 million players in 2015. That's right. Seven, almost eight years ago, there were over 56 million people in North America playing fantasy sports. And a huge spurt for that came in 1995 when ESPN launched a fantasy baseball game on their website. That's right. It was the mid-90s, and people weren't doing fantasy sports online yet. No, they would sit together in their boardrooms or go to a friend's house and do it on pen and paper and then literally pick up the newspaper every day and tabulate the stats. But ESPN launched it online, shortly followed after by Yahoo, which is one of the more, if not the most popular platform. In fact, the move for fantasy sports to digital was so novel, but also so significant that Molson, which is a big beer brand and obviously very significant for Canadians, it's our beer brand, actually created a campaign called I Am Online, which kind of mirrored their parent campaign at the time, which is I Am Canadian. They ran all these ads saying I Am Canadian, and they ran one saying I Am Online to promote their own home-built fantasy hockey game. And as per Matthew Barry, one of the biggest, if not the biggest name in fantasy sports, taking the fun online of fantasy sports, it's considered by many to be the place where so many people got started on the internet. I always say that before Facebook or MySpace, fantasy football was the original online community. I, I talk about this in the book. I've been playing since I was 14 years old. My very first league is still together to this day. I'm 43 now. Like, next April will be the 30th anniversary of the Fat Dog Rich History League out of College Station, Texas, which is where I grew up. And yeah, to your point, I would have lost touch with those guys long ago, but it gives me an excuse to talk with them. Now, over the years, of course, the practice of fantasy sports has been under different legal scrutiny. And in 2006, it actually dodged a bullet when Congress passed the Unlawful Internet Gambling Act, which banned online poker, but left space for fantasy sports, which was technically at the time a game of skill, even though I guess poker wasn't. And by 2015, at the end of this report, Americans were spending $465 per year individually on average on fantasy sports, as well as nine hours per week consuming fantasy sports content. The little wrinkle that we need to mention there, because people were spending a lot of time on this then, and they still are now, the top 10 players in these leagues were often collecting roughly 88% of the winnings. Now, all those numbers, that's only just North America. We haven't even talked about soccer or the international market, which again, we, we talked about football, soccer in the last episode. We talked about FIFA and its scandals, if, you, if you're interested in that. And we know that fantasy soccer already has over 9 million global participants, which could grow to so much more. There's so many different soccer leagues, and it feels like every World Cup, it grows just a little bit more. I think even now in North America, we have the MLS, which also comes back in just a little bit. So now, you know, this podcast is about how all of that can adapt to the NFT market. And it's clear that there's a really long way to go there, especially given that right now the sentiment in crypto is not exactly the best time. And it's it's quite, it, we literally might be at the all-time absolute low for sentiment in crypto, or at least I, I hope so. But beyond that, there's actually a totally different battle that we have to consider, which is how much these companies like DraftKings and Dapper and everybody have to pay for the licenses to these products or to the leagues rather. Back in the day, like a couple of years ago, when an app like SoRare started, because they've, they've been around for a while, they got those soccer licenses a while ago, 
those licenses probably didn't cost very much because NFTs were nascent. It was this new niche thing. Same thing as the NBA license with Dapper Labs. It probably, well, I don't know how much it cost, but it wouldn't cost nearly the same as it would today if they were trying to get the same deal. So the issue with these new platforms, the ones just releasing now, is that they need to make money on the users to recoup their investment. I would assume that today, buying the fantasy NFT license for a league or an IP would be insanely expensive given the success of NFTs in the last couple years. And of course, these companies, we know how they make their money. It's off of people like us. But also on the large contingent of fans and players that they have already accumulated in their respective platforms. So basically, DraftKings has this new license from the NFLPA to do Rainmakers, and they're going to need to sell that. They're going to get those out to their current base to recoup that money because it probably costs a hell of a lot to get that license, especially in this climate or in the, the bull run market, let's say. Now to research this episode, I actually had the chance to speak with a few people in our community about the subject, two people that I consider to be experts on the sports betting industry, but who've also dabbled heavily in Web3. My name is Eric Patterson. I am a currently a sports trader at The Score Bet, formerly sports journalist, formerly mechanical engineer, found my way to the sports betting world um, and yeah, NFT streets as well, starting with this podcast actually, kind of a full circle moment. Everyone that I know that is into sports is playing some form of fantasy, whether it's DFS or season long. I would say if you're playing fantasy sports, I mean, 80 to 80%, I would say, are probably dabbling into DFS, DraftKings of some sort. It's huge. Although Eric was deep into NBA Top Shot in the early days, he did sound skeptical when asked if NFTs could penetrate into daily fantasy sports. Is there a, a need to involve crypto and the blockchain in order to play these games that people are already playing like it's not it's not going to enhance the current dfs landscape it can add to it or kind of run beside it but i don't think it's going to change the entire way DraftKings or FanDuel operate their dfs offering and this sentiment from eric was actually corroborated by my other guest one of the top fantasy players in the world i'm alex baker uh, better known by some as osimo I've been in the sports gaming space for about eight years, and uh, for five of those, I was the number one ranked daily fantasy player overall. There's not necessarily a need for new fantasy like games because like people are pretty happy with what's available. I don't know if like playing with NFTs is differentiated enough from just making a roster that has like a unique appeal. Like to me, it's basically like two ways to approach the same concept so i also asked both of these guys if they had dabbled in fantasy nfts and they both individually brought up rainmakers which mirrors the fantasy experience and is run by the world's largest fantasy business DraftKings. like the the problem with like trying to to play the market on on rainmakers is because you only get uh 18 weeks to play these these players it is going to be a depreciating asset in general where the value decreases throughout the season. So it's almost kind of like a hot potato game where if you don't use it, you lose it. And, and trying to buy and hold is not a viable strategy. Eric even expressed a concern he'd heard where the wealth distribution is seeing similar issues to the rest of the fantasy world. The I guess one of the main things I've heard and concerns about Rainmakers is the ones who put the most money in and spend the most time doing it are going to win all the money. So it's like, as a, you know, as a someone with a lower budget who's just kind of doing it in passing, it doesn't seem like that 
fun of a game to play when you're just up against these whales who own all the good cards and are just going to win every week. It doesn't seem like that's um, something good for user growth. Now, it wouldn't be a First Mint podcast if we didn't consult our community. I put up a tweet last week asking people to share their experience thus far. Now, there was a lot of enthusiasm and naturally, in crypto, some complaining. I'll read to you some of the comments. From Ahmad Scientist, I love fantasy sports and NFTs, so I've been enjoying So Rare NBA so far. I love the idea of owning my cards, keepers forever, and being able to use them in competitions in perpetuity. I just wish the NHL would wake up. I'd be all over fantasy, hockey, NFTs, like stink on a monkey. Whoa. From Andrew Miller, I was a lapsed fantasy player. So Rare brought me back. As a lifetime NBA freak and understanding NFTs and Web3, the combo was unmissable. Owning the players on your team is a new feeling. Excited to see where the space goes. From Rapesh, Rainmakers has been a lot of fun. I've loved playing DFS since 2011, but my main focus now is Rainmakers. And of course, the complaining from Wisdom Tooth. I did, but felt it was too pay to win. So I left and went back to traditional DFS. And judging from the rest of the comments, and of course, this is our community who really enjoys NFTs. It's not the rest of the DFS people who haven't done it yet. Most people so far do seem actually pretty happy with it. And similar to Alex and Eric, express concern or uncertainty about the market dynamics. And probably the biggest barrier that people expressed is the user interface, specifically on Rainmakers. They feel that it's really hard to use and that they struggle to organize their collections. Which honestly, to me, is a pretty big issue because these are tech products and good tech products just work. There's a famous Steve Jobs quote. And if you know Steve Jobs, you know that he's also a sucker for the look and feel of products for them to be viable and attractive to consumers. Towards the end of our conversation, Eric Patterson actually brought up an interesting point, not about fantasy sports, but about digital sports collectibles related to NBA Top Shot. He said he felt like the interface on the collectible platform where he can see all the cards in existence is actually detrimental to what he considers to be a good collecting experience. But like, it's overwhelming to see them all on the site at the same time, if you know what I mean. But whereas you open like cards, you don't see all the other cards available in the market. You know that there's way more cards of certain players out there, but you know, to physically see them all at the same time, that'll never happen. Whereas on all day or top shot, it's like, you're just, there's just too much sometimes. It's just, you're scrolling and scrolling. You're like, there's the same, you know, four or five moments of one player. And it just, it, it overwhelms it. It feels diluted. Whereas, you know, it's probably not as delighted, diluted as the card market. So the jury is still out. We're very early, but it's clear what the challenges are. And also that there is a market here. So what comes next? Well, more sports, that's for sure. Earlier this year, Major League Soccer announced a deal with SoRare, and cricket, of all sports, is rumored to be the potential largest growing segment of fantasy sports in the world. All the platforms that exist right now, they'll continue to grow, and maybe over time, they can find a way to evolve one of fantasy's most glaring vices, the part where 88% of the winnings go to the top 10 players, because that in itself doesn't sound very decentralized to me. Unlocking fantasy and collectibles is vital to the growth of crypto, but there's an even bigger picture there, gambling. Although considered by many to be immoral, sports gambling in general is enormous. And the illegal side actually triples the legal side right now in the US. 
In a report by Ibis World back in 2018, they estimated that there's about a $55 billion market for legal gambling, sports gambling in the US, but that the illegal market for gambling is actually 150 billion. Last year alone, the NFL brought in $12 billion in bets and college football even brought in 8 billion. Now I've always said that crypto is the world's greatest and most insane casino. And I definitely do not advocate for irresponsible gambling. But I can't help but wonder if the true killer app of sports and crypto will be the new ways to bet on games, outcomes, and athletes way beyond what we see and perceive right now. I guess we'll have to wait for that. But you won't have to wait as long for the next episode of The First Mint.